to the Playboy Mansion. Beg the question, what has gone wrong with young Hollywood? Honest to God, what is the problem? Hello and welcome to Season 5 of Late Do You Remember This, where we look back on all the stories from Hollywood's best worst decade, the early 2000s. A time in history when America found out that with a trust fund, a sex tape, and a dream, you too could become a star. As always, I'm your host, Dara Lane. Last week, we left Hef just after the turn of the millennium. After a decades-long slump, a stroke, a wife and two kids, it looked like Hef and the Playboy brand had definitely passed the glory days forever. But when Kimberly took their two sons and walked out the door, and then walked a few more feet to their new home directly across the street, it was clear to Hef that he needed another reinvention. With his newfound freedom, he had a skip in his step, a swing in his dingling that he hadn't felt since he was a sprightly young boy of 60. It was time to put the Playboy image into overdrive and double his Viagra prescription. Filled with pills to the gills like a crab meat stuffed salmon, Hef was rock hard and ready to take on three girlfriends, Sandy, Brandy, and Mandy. Soon the three became a rotating group of seven girlfriends living at the mansion. Together, they'd take a limo to one of the hot nightclubs in town and make a big show walking past the velvet ropes to their bottle service table. The novelty of this elderly man carting around his flock of much younger women made Hef relevant again in a way that only the early 2000s could allow. The party posse. More blondes than you can count. More blondes than there are in heaven. Each woman looked exactly the same as the last. Bleach blonde hair, barrel curls, and boobs encased in a rayon spandex blend. The party posse looked like a publicity stunt because it seemed too ridiculous to be real. Yeah, we got a lot of questions okay. for you. And we want to know honestly whether or not you had sex with Hef. Because I've heard... Don't answer yet. You've heard. I- I'll tell you what I've heard. Okay. I've heard that those girls who are Hef's girlfriends are hired... You know, through a newspaper ad. Uh-huh. And uh, you guys go there and you pretend to be Hef's girlfriends. And then, in fact, it's a business arrangement. And that it, you get perks. Yeah. And at night, you go into your room alone, you close the door, lock it. And, and they you put Hef back in the freezer. Yeah, they put Hef back in the freezer. That's exactly what we've heard. <laughs> I've heard that. Okay. Uh, Hef and you were never lovers. That is the idea I'm well, getting. That this is it's, all it's sort a different, of... It's a different kind of love. You know, Laura, it's, you're it's friends. Like a, it's like a friendship, and it's like I really admire him. Sure, why And I, I've looked up to him since I... But why does he know, have to like, say you're his girlfriend? What's that all about? It's... You, you are like a girlfriend. I mean, anybody right, who... without sex. Yeah, anybody... Right. anybody like Robin's who, my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. you know, it's just... It's it's one of those relationships where... But I think Hef implies he, that he has sex with the girls. That's what he told well, me he when told I did the show. Well, he could satisfy all seven of them well, per night hmm. with the money. And, and he does. Does he bang any of them? Um... I don't know. You don't know? That was Howard Stern talking to Katie Lohman, one of the seven girlfriends at the mansion in the very beginning, who left after she got her Playboy pictorial. As you'll learn later in the episode, 
Katie was omitting the truth here, but Howard's perception of Heff's relationship to these women was basically what the rest of the country thought too. Women would get a new car and live at the mansion for free, and in return they would simply go along with the ruse. Another perk of being a girlfriend in the beginning was that it basically guaranteed that you would become a playmate. In fact, readers of Playboy started to complain when they noticed that every month, every playmate looked exactly the same. It even upset the editorial teams in both LA and Chicago that they couldn't feature the models that they felt deserved to be in the magazine because Hef had final say and would force them to choose a girlfriend. This quid pro quo wasn't as simple as just living in the mansion and taking it in stride when Jeff Ross called you a whore at a Comedy Central roast. You'd also have to endure the bizarre proclivities of an elderly, abusive pseudo-cult leader. What was actually going on behind the mansion gates was something the public couldn't have imagined, but a small-town gal named Holly Sue Cullen would soon discover. Holly Sue was born in December of 1978 to her parents, Patsy and Steve Cullen. We moved to Alaska from Oregon when I was two years old. My dad worked in the timber industry, so we moved up there. And, you know, we pretty much lived out in the woods. I mean, Craig is a very small town. We lived there for about 10 years, so I moved back to Oregon when I was 12. And I could take Bridget and Kendra back to Oregon, but I really want to take them back to Alaska because it's a whole different world. After moving to Oregon when Holly was in middle school, her family would take vacations in Southern California, which was when Holly fell in love with Disneyland and the idea of living a glamorous life in Los Angeles. She decided from a young age that she would grow up and move there someday, as her father explains in the following clip from her E! True Hollywood story from 2011. Going to California when she was so young just sparked an interest in her, and that's what she wanted to do. She saw the stars, she saw the glamour, and that was Holly. And I just knew that that would have to be the place I would end up if I ever wanted to follow my dreams. She looked at me once and she said, you know, Dad, I'm going to marry rich and I'm going to be famous. So, <laughs> you know, I said, well, when you're rich and famous, would you buy your dad a house? <laughs> Like most people who are delusional enough to move to Hollywood despite having no prospects or connections, myself included, Holly found her suburban town boring and had trouble fitting in with her classmates. When I was in high school, like the whole grunge thing was really in and I was the first girl in my school to get a tattoo. I had my nose pierced through the middle. like. I'd always dye my hair crazy colors, put in different streaks and things like that. Holly would go to the Goodwill and buy just not very pretty clothes. <laughs> I was always dressing crazy. I always wanted to look like a walking piece of art, whether I had like stars in my hair or a Christmas tree garland around my neck or plastic black pants, ripped up tights, really black things, white, white makeup, maybe some retro, like 60s clothes that we would find. No other people were really dressing that way at the time. And I think some people didn't particularly like that because, you know, this town's pretty conservative. It was kind of my way of amusing myself and just setting myself apart and kind of saying, you know, to everything around me. Holly made it through high school and then attended Portland State University in Oregon, where she studied acting and psychology. During that time, Holly participated in Playboy's nationwide Millennium Playmate search, 
and after being rejected, she decided it was time to transfer schools and move to Hollywood. But before she left to attend Loyola Marymount, there was something she'd have to take care of. If I was going to do what I wanted to do, which was basically be a Jenny McCarthy type, I had to get my boobs done. So I took my credit cards down to the doctor, thinking that I could just come home and act like nothing had happened. So I went and got them done. I had a friend drive me and she drove me home and I was puking my brains out. She didn't tell us ahead of time. It was just a surprise when she showed up at home. It was kind of a lot of drama all of a sudden. I hadn't eaten anything, of course, since the night before, but I was still puking up all this bile and I just couldn't even get out of bed. My mom was like, oh no, you're gonna miss Stephanie's graduation. And all you can really do is go, well, take a pain pill. We'll be back in a few hours. I just hid in my bedroom, but I always wanted boobs. I knew they weren't growing, so I was happy. My top half finally matched my bottom half, and I felt good to go. With stars in her eyes and silicone in her chest, Holly packed up her Toyota Celica and drove to Los Angeles. When she arrived, she quickly realized that she'd need a well-paying job ASAP. She had three credit cards worth of boob debt and only $100 in her bank account, certainly not enough to live on for more than 45 minutes in this city. For reference, if you want to move to Hollywood, I recommend you have four to six months of living expenses saved, plus two to three generations worth of inherited wealth. Holly got a job at a Hooters restaurant in Santa Monica and eventually got an apartment with some roommates. She got a manager and soon was juggling classes, waitressing, and auditioning, all under her new stage name. Hi, I'm Holly Madison and I'm with Ryan Artists. She could only keep it going for a year when she finally decided to drop out of school and pursue her career full-time. On top of her waitressing job, she became a brand model for Hawaiian Tropics Dark Tanning Oil. The job entailed showing up to events in company-branded clothing and bikinis. Brand modeling, another major relic of the early to mid-2000s. I used to do it in my supple and nubile early 20s. And back then, you could make at least $25 an hour wearing a dumb, skimpy outfit at a bar, pass out some beer koozies, and no one noticed when you left one hour into your four-hour shift. The only thing that ever came from my days as a brand girl was a surplus of Malibu rum shot glass necklaces that sat in a cardboard box in the trunk of my Corolla for a year. But for Holly, working at a Hawaiian Tropics bikini contest changed the whole course of her life. It was there that she was approached by one of the judges who happened to be Hugh Hefner's personal physician, known around the mansion as Dr. Feelgood. He invited Holly to come party there, and soon after she received the invitation of the year to the Midsummer Night's Dream Party. This week is the Midsummer Night's Dream Party. The Midsummer's Night Dream Party is the coolest party in Hollywood. I'm very excited because this is like one of my favorite parties because it's a celebration of the middle of summer, I think, or the end, whatever. Who else has a midsummer's party? Nobody, so everyone wants to be here. It's just like a modern day version of the Cinderella ball. You know, we pack the guest list with celebrities and beautiful people. The backyard is decorated so you don't even recognize it from during the day. The staff has so much to do. They have this huge job where they have to transform the mansion and the backyard into the most glamorous party of the year. At a mansion party, you park at UCLA and a bus picks everyone up and carts them over. Upon arriving, every woman gets her picture taken. 
Unbeknownst to them, each picture is reviewed and graded based on the woman's looks, A, B, or C. An A grade meant that you would be put on the guest list for future parties. Holly would eventually learn that she got an A, and over the course of the next year, she was a fixture at the mansion, regularly attending the much more exclusive Fun in the Sun Sunday pool parties. In August of 2001, Holly learned that her roommate would be kicking her out so her brother could move in. The last thing she wanted was to move home, but she was broke and had terrible credit thanks to the boob job she charged to three credit cards. Desperate and running out of options, Holly remembered that one of Hef's girlfriends had recently been kicked out of the mansion, and she saw an opportunity. His other girlfriends had always told Holly that she should join them at one of their club nights out, so that Sunday by the pool, she asked Hef if she could tag along the next time they went. Holly arrived at the mansion in her spandex finery, just as the girlfriends did their she's all that walk down the stairs into the foyer. Hef and his number one girlfriend, Tina Jordan, would always be the last ones down as some sort of nod to the hierarchy. The mansion photographer lined everyone up to take a group photo, as they did every club night so Hef could add it to his scrapbooks. In the morning, each girl would awake to find a copy of the photo in front of her bedroom as a memento of the evening. As if a 30-minute limo ride to Hollywood to go dance around an old man was the equivalent to riding Splash Mountain. When they stepped out of the limo to head into the club, the crowd outside went wild and security scuttled them inside to a roped-off VIP area of the club, where no man, except the occasional celebrity, could enter. Holly sat with Hef, who opened up a crumpled old napkin, and instead of offering her butterscotch candy, he offered her something equally antiquated. A quaalude, supplied to him by his Dr. Feelgood. Quaaludes were relics of the 70s, you know, very chic, very Valley of the Dolls. But by 2001, no one was passing around these horse tranquilizers, or as Hef and his friends referred to them as, thigh openers. Holly passed, but plenty of girlfriends would oblige, since they knew what was coming later in the evening. In the limo ride back to the mansion, one of the other girls told Holly that all the girls, her included, would be expected to go up to Hef's bedroom. As Holly put it in her memoir, she wasn't an idiot. She knew that it could be potentially part of the deal, and she even asked some of the girls if they had to be intimate with Hef. When I asked them about it directly, they were incredibly convincing, acting almost appalled by the idea. This important factor was the touchstone of their entire sales pitch, and the fact that it wasn't just true, but that it would also be required, wasn't exactly something I'd prepared myself for, especially for my first night out. But at that point, I felt like it was my only option. Maybe it wasn't that torturous, I thought. Why else would all these pretty young girls be jumping through hoops to be girlfriends? I could just see what it's all about. If it's that bad, I'll leave. What happened next is all sort of a haze. Wasted on vodka, Holly was thrown into the group sex ritual. As they all took turns with Hef, one of the girls, who had been particularly welcoming to her, pushed Holly forward, saying, Half, don't you want to be with a new girl? Of course he did. 
Their encounter together was over just as quickly as it started, but the duration of the sex was not commensurate with its impact on Holly. I was freaked out and frankly ashamed by the experience. After disappointing myself like that, I had to come away with something positive, something to make it right in my mind somehow. I knew that if I couldn't find a silver lining, I couldn't forgive myself for the night before. The other girls who would react as I did were probably the most damaged and affected. We couldn't so easily shrug off what we had been reduced to. It would haunt us, but in order to move forward, we needed to find an upside. For me, asking to move in therefore seemed like the next rational step, or so I convinced myself, and I decided to bite the bullet. It might seem counterintuitive to try and save one bad experience by doubling down and making it your daily way of life, but humans, man, we're wild little creatures. And at this point, Holly was about to be homeless, and living at the mansion as Hef's girlfriend was sure to bring her new opportunities for advancement in Hollywood. And as degrading as the night might have been, Hef hadn't been rude to her, and she didn't yet blame him for what happened. Instead, she blamed Vicky, the girlfriend who'd been particularly welcoming to her. In hindsight, she realized, Vicky didn't like Holly. She was just trying to recruit her. Nobody wanted to have sex with Hef, but if there were plenty of new girls around, he wouldn't notice that Vicky wasn't actually taking her turn to ride the geriatric pony. It was doubly beneficial for her because Hef loved having a new girl to conquer, so this also kept her in his good graces. As far as Holly was concerned, it was Vicky who lied and got Holly into this situation. Hef was just a nice guy who could offer her a place to stay and a stepping stone for the future. So she marched into Hef's office and asked if she could move in. Hef agreed on a trial basis. Holly once again packed up her Toyota Celica with all of her belongings and made the trip over to Holmby Hills. She drove up the driveway on Charing Cross Road and crossed the threshold, turning over her car keys to the mansion security guard awaiting her arrival. She looked up at the mansion. It couldn't have felt less like home, she thought. But as the security guard drove her car away into the belly of the parking garage and the mansion gates clamped shut behind her, it was too late to turn back because she had already tumbled down the rabbit hole. Sorry, was that too on the nose? Eh. Next episode, we'll discuss the mansion rules, the bizarre details of the twice-weekly orgies, the high-class escort ring happening right under Hef's nose, and our two other girls next door, Bridget and Kendra. Lay Do You Remember This is researched, written, narrated, and edited by me, Dara Lane. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave a rating and review. You can follow updates on the pod on Instagram and Twitter, stream our early 2000s Spotify and Apple Music playlists, and download some Ledoux-inspired coloring book pages. You'll find those links on the show's Instagram. And please, if you like the podcast, share it. Tell your friends. It's true what they say. It takes a village to make me famous. If you have any questions, comments, or show suggestions, please email this at gmail.com. So, you're invited to come back next week. We've got a table, and I've put you on the list. The lady you remember this. Proportion.